Hey everyone, hope you're staying safe out there, cooking well, making the most of COVID life. This is Brian, host of the Craft Hot Sauce podcast. Uh, all is well on my end, and I'm excited to share this episode of the Craft Hot Sauce podcast with you. Our guest is Reggie Kelly from Kaivan Foods. They wrote their Craft Hot Sauce story way back uh, in 2015, so it was fun catching up with Reggie five years later on the podcast. Uh, Reggie was a standout football player coming out of Aberdeen, Mississippi, going on to play football at Mississippi State, and then having a 13-year career in the NFL as a tight end for the Atlanta Falcons and Cincinnati Bengals. This podcast has a lot more sports uh, than other podcast episodes. I think this might be uh, one of the only few where we get into it, but um, a huge passion area for me besides just hot sauce, but we also definitely get into talking about business. Uh, Reggie has shared some awesome stories about how cooking is such a big part of his life, mantras that he's held tight that have helped him be a top performer on the gridiron and in business. We talk about some of the early business mistakes he encountered, hoping that the lessons can help other future hot sauce and condiment companies save some time and money. Reggie and his wife, Sheila, also generously gave away a couple extra bottles of their original Kaivan hot sauce, which I will also match with a couple other craft hot sauces to do a giveaway. So we're doing two giveaways of the craft hot sauce box that end on July 15th, 2020, with two different ways to enter. Uh, the first is if you leave a review of the craft hot sauce podcast and share a screenshot with us, um, you'll be entered to win. So you can either uh, kind of send me uh, a message on social media or email brian at crafthotsauce.com. Uh, the other way to enter this uh, is by sharing this episode on social media, tagging both Kaivan Foods and Craft Hot Sauce. Um, again, the prize will be the July edition of the Craft Hot Sauce box. We'll be picking a winner, uh, picking two winners on July 15th, 2020. Um, and we have a summary of the ways uh, to enter in the, the show notes and description of the podcast below. But without further ado, Let's get into the conversation with Reggie Kelly from Kaivan Foods. Reggie, thank you for being here, uh, coming on the Craft Hot Sauce podcast. Brian, it's my pleasure, man. It's always good to talk with you. Always good to catch up. Thank you so much for having me on. Of course, of course. And uh, it was uh, it's a Monday afternoon and a, a fresh weekend of doing. I did a lot of cooking uh, this weekend. Uh, I... Uh, uh, we actually ordered from uh, a Kenyan restaurant here in Lowell that was great for kind of a great meal to put a lot of different hot sauces. When I first tried your, your Kaivan hot sauce that I got the day before, um, and then I did some some tacos, just homemade tacos and guacamole and, and uh, marinated chicken. And again, put more hot sauce. There, there's a theme of putting hot sauce on a lot of different uh, stuff. But um, yeah, how, how was your weekend? Sound, did you get up to any cooking as well? I had a great weekend, man. Uh, it, was, it was a a weekend that I didn't do too much cooking, but I did make some sloppy joes. You know, everybody likes sloppy joes. Nice. Made some of those and ate some kettle chips with those. Made some uh, pasta salad, believe it or not. I know that's a, an odd combo to make pasta salad with sloppy joes, but it worked. It worked. And then yesterday, I made some honey chicken, baked some of that in the oven. That turned out really well. And that was a, an extremely difficult recipe. But then I made some angel hair pasta that was supposedly infused with garlic and Parmesan. And I totally screwed that one up. And that, was supposed <laughs> to be an easy, that was supposed to be the easiest recipe that I was supposed to cook this, this, this weekend. But last weekend, I totally just whatever had a brain freeze and just messed it up. But we made it work. We made it work, man. So, yeah. Hold up. So, so that, that's a weekend without a lot of cooking? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That's a light weekend over here at the Kelly household. But you know, um, I, I enjoy cooking. Growing up, that's all we did. My family, we just made a pretty much a pastime. Anytime we could make any type of excuse to get together, we did it and food was always involved with it. So I, I enjoy cooking, my wife does as well. And, and believe it or not, my kids are pretty good in the kitchen as well. They're nice. pretty good, so they're nice. taking care taking care of the old man right <laughs> that's good to hear well yeah no i would love to hear more about kind of your upbringing and and, and growing up in in aberdeen mississippi yeah man well you know I, i'm i'm just a small town country boy again from aberdeen population 
um, about five to 6,000 people or so. So everybody knew each other and everybody right. still knew each other. So when I grew up, I couldn't be too mischievous. I couldn't do stuff <laughs> uh, behind the scenes because you always had an eye on you. And whenever my neighbors or family members saw me doing something wrong, you could rest assured the message quickly got <laughs> to my parents. And and it was it was a, an, an era in a time in my life to where, you know, uh, my neighbors were just like family members, you know, so that my parents gave them permission to to raise us, to discipline us, um, to help nurture us. And it truly does take a village to raise kids. And so we had that close knit type of community and it worked out really well. So couldn't get in too much trouble because the town was so small. Everybody knew each other. Yeah. My parents, they didn't play around. They wanted to make sure that I did what I was supposed to do and represent the Kelly name the right way. You remember the old phrase where if your friends jump off a bridge, would you do it too? Right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot in my household growing up. Nice. And did you have siblings? Or do you have siblings? Old, yeah, I had one older brother. And my older brother, he was somewhat like a father figure to me as well. I mean, he made sure that I, I told the line, but he was a little bit different than my parents. You know, my parents obviously gave him you know, the full reign to just make sure that he kept an eye on me to make sure I did the right things. But he always gave me options. He said, Reggie, now listen, you know, you just got to understand now if you make a good decision, you know, there's going to be rewards for that. Make a bad decision, there's going to be consequences. He said, but either way, I'm your big brother and I'll always be beside you and I'll always support you. That meant a lot to me. And so there were times, you know, I did stuff and didn't quite work out the way I thought it would be. But, you know, a teenager, we do know it all as a teenager. Of course. So I, I knew it all. And my brother, you know, he just allowed me to make some of those bonehead mistakes. And he was just there to help pick me up. So and help encourage me through it all, not to stop trying to be adventurous, not to stop trying to go and go out to your dreams, but to plan a little bit better, to look at it from every angle instead of, instead of just looking at it from my viewpoint, get the whole spectrum. And I think that in turn helped me, honestly, in the NFL has helped me with business now. Um, it's, it's, it's important for me not only to look at things from my viewpoint, from my lens, but to really look at it from a wider scope mm-hmm. and to look at how, how the mass, how would others accept this proposal? How would others accept this particular product or brand or service? And if they will accept it, not just based on my viewpoint, but their viewpoint, then we might have something special. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I think that's important to take that perspective. Um, so if, if you were say, 10 years old and somebody asked you what you wanted to be when you grew up, would you say an NFL football player? Absolutely. Hands down. (laughs) Absolutely. Without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, You have to understand growing up in a small town, that was really not much of anything to do. It really wasn't, especially back in our time. We didn't have video games like that. Yeah. Like kids do now. We don't have, we didn't have a lot of apps and, and iPhone and smartphones and so forth. You know, we had to make do with what we had. We had to actually make, toys and make little gadgets and then play with them and so when I was a boy you know sports was like a big thing I mean I couldn't wait to leave church on a Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon depending if the if the pastor got long with it or not oh yeah yeah <laughs> we couldn't wait to leave church and as soon as church was over we jetted out of church and and rushed home and you know my family popped a big bowl of popcorn and we watched NFL games man like big rivalries like the Dallas Cowboys against the Redskins, which was huge, you know, back in those days. And afterwards, I can remember all the neighborhood boys and, and myself, we would all get together in somebody's backyard. We would imitate our heroes, you know, score big time touchdowns, do touchdown dances, bone crushing tackles. And again, there was no pass or helmet. <laughs> <laughs> you, you got tough quick. <laughs> tough quick. It was just tackle football. Yeah. And we absolutely enjoyed it. And I just had so many dreams that one day I could be in the spotlight and that one day I could be wearing those, you know, the helmet and, and the shoes and, and, and the shoulder pads and be on the primetime ESPN. And, and, but I, you know, I, even though I wanted to do it, I knew it would take a lot of work, believe it yeah. or not. I yeah. knew that everybody wanted this particular spotlight. It, it couldn't be that easy. And I knew that growing up, just there was something inside me that just told me I would have to work hard for it. And lo and behold, you know, um, through a lot of hard work, you know, a lot of sacrifice, a lot of effort, and with the good Lord's blessing, I was able to fulfill a dream 13 years in the NFL. And I'll be honest with you, 
I didn't want to let it go after 13, but they had to kick me out. So <laughs> good for you. Yeah. No, I, I, uh, I left crawl. I left, uh, I left screaming and, and, and crawling and, and scratching the whole nine, but they finally kicked me out and I'm grateful for the NFL for giving me the opportunity. Yeah, that, that's un- unbelievable. Um, and I, I imagine there's, uh, we'll get into this, but I'm sure there's so many life lessons that uh, had through growing up, um, going to college and playing that you're, you're still using today. Um, but I'd imagine that jump to go to a top football program like Mississippi State University and having like an amazing collegiate career, but also, I mean, I, I know you've also done amazing with your coursework and, and academic side as well. So that's a lot. I, I was a, a collegiate athlete rower and, and did classes too. And I found that is a lot. Um, but how did you kind of a, a approach that transition? And, and, and I feel like how did that kind of set you up for, for what was to come? Well, well, first thing I, I would like to say is Brian, you know, I appreciate you mentioning Mississippi state as being a big time program. Cause not many people get that. Not many people are willing to admit we are a powerhouse in the SEC. So kudos to you. You know, you okay. Well, hey, I, I, uh, in my last job that I actually just ended a few weeks ago, I was uh, a sales rep for uh, college. I, I worked with colleges in Mississippi, in Georgia, and Alabama. So I, I knew where to to mention stuff, where to not mention rivalries. Definitely things not to mess up. Um, so I, I got some experience uh, with. Uh, Mississippi and uh, in, in Southern colleges. Uh, well, that's great, man. I'm glad you had an opportunity to experience the SEC and and all that the SEC has to offer. And, and it is very unique. It, it's it's a special place to play in Mississippi State, and it's a special conference um, to be a part of. And I enjoyed it to the fullest. And it's very competitive, you know, at, at its core. Um, and and you get some really good players that that go through the state of Mississippi and the southeastern states all the way, you know, to the SEC, all the way to the pro level. And so um, it's a tremendous honor to to have played at Mississippi State University. And um, I always represent the maroon and white. I try to represent us in the best way. But, but leaving Aberdeen, Mississippi, you know, for the bright lights of Stark Vegas, you know, it was very, very it, – it, it wasn't – I wouldn't say that it was different um, in, in, in a large capacity, but – Yet still, it was different for me being from a, a small country town, five or 6,000 people. Um, now I had, had the opportunity to somewhat soar and to be from under my, my parents' wings and to somewhat just get out and, and experience college life and then experience being responsible, a responsible young man that you can't depend on your parents to do this, to do this, to wash your clothes, to cook, to make sure you do it, you know, you're doing your homework. You have to make sure that you do that yourself. And your coaches are expecting you to be responsible enough to do it as well. And so from that perspective, it was a, a transition. But it was a transition that I, I welcome. Um, it was a transition that I, I really wanted because not many people in my family had, have had the opportunities to do what I was about to do. And, and I didn't want to let the, the good Lord down. I didn't want to let them down. I wanted to make sure that I represented my family to the fullest. Um, and I knew in order to do that, I would have to outwork anybody that came in front of me. I would have to outsmart anybody that had been, uh, that had been already a player in the SEC or even in, on the Mississippi State uh, football team. I would even have to outsmart them, which means I would have to study more film. I would have to study my plays a little bit more. I would have to come early for workouts and leave late for workouts so that I could level the playing field being a young guy mm-hmm. trying to make a mark, trying to make an impression. I already had my impression in Aberdeen, but Aberdeen is Aberdeen. Now you're in the SEC and you have to make sure that you shine and leave a lasting um, imprint in people's mind. And I knew I had to do that. Yeah. And, um, I was known, Brian, as probably one of the hardest workers on the team because I've always felt like I could outwork anybody. And if I can outwork you, I felt like I had an edge on you. Wow. I was, I was thinking about that going into this podcast because I, I, I'd imagine you're extremely talented, competitive, um, but also had to make a really good atmosphere uh, about kind of growth recovery. Because I was thinking even academically, 
the best conditions are when you're able to recharge. Like when, when you're making new muscle, you're, you're straining it, you're pushing it uh, to fatigue, and then you got to rest, recover, fuel up. But I'd imagine if you're the hardest worker, there has to be a, a competitive edge that you have where you're seeing somebody that you have to go that extra mile. But tell me a little bit more about kind of the, the atmosphere that you've built to be able to stand out in college uh, in Aberdeen, but also make it to the NFL for 13 years where I, I, I remember I was a sport management major in, in college and I learned that the average tenure in the NFL was less than two years, mm-hmm. which just blew my mind. So um, I'd love to learn a little bit more how you kind of created that atmosphere for you to, to be the best and stand out and, and, uh, last a long time. Well, I, I say, I say for me now coming out of high school to college, I had a mindset, but then when I made it to the NFL, I had a totally different mindset as well. So each level brought out a new dimension um, within me. Um, when I, when I went to college, I, I, I looked at myself, I didn't look at myself as a guy that had already made it. Yeah, and look at my guy. Look, look at myself as being a guy that could just show up, and the coaches would just give me a spot. I went into that particular setting, knowing in my heart that I could be one of the best to ever go through or ever come through Mississippi State, but it was going to take extreme hard work, extremely hard work. It was going to take long hours. It was going to take a lot of discipline. And I would have to sacrifice in my mind a lot more than my teammates would would sacrifice. So my thought process is don't go into this thing being arrogant. All right. Go into this thing being hungry, but always humble. That was my Mm -hmm. thing. Nice. Hungry, but humble. So regardless of how many accolades I got, you stay humble and you want more and stay hungry. Regardless of how many pats I got from my coaches, stay humble. Always stay hungry because if you get too big-headed, and I've learned this, if you get big-headed, if you get arrogant, you're quickly to fall at some point. If you get big-headed and arrogant, you tend to miss out on the small details. You tend to overlook those little things that got you there when you get big-headed because you think that you've already arrived. And when you stop being motivated and, and lose that hunger, lose that thirst for getting better and better and better, and you lose a little something, a little bit of your edge t- tends to leave as well. And I never wanted that. Yeah. So I wanted to be that guy that the coaches could lean on and say, if you guys want to know how to work, watch number 89. If yeah. you guys know what it, what, what, it, what it looks like to have a guy who's made it, but yet he's still level-headed, not arrogant, he still listens to us as coaches, and he still leads men, watch number 89. And I wanted to be that guy. And that's what kept me going. Stay humble, Reggie, but always stay hungry. And that was my mindset in college. Wow. Yeah, that's unbelievable because like, uh, I've always been in awe of professional athletes because growing up, um, I I always wanted to be in in that position with the Red Sox, bottom of the ninth, uh, men in scoring position. Um, and I actually, I, I still do today. I I take some baseball cuts every day, uh, just to, to keep it going. But, um, I was, I was thinking about just that pressure of making it because you're, you're a real person and that transition, there's a lot of pressure. So I think like that approach of, of staying humble can probably keep you focused a, a little bit more level. Well, it, 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 it and I'll actually out there, it did Brian, because when I, I, well, my mindset was, was, was not really focused on what people thought either. Yeah. It, it really wasn't. I, I had fixed, and, and I'm, I guess I should say that I'm, I'm pretty hard-headed. I'm pretty stubborn, too. So I guess that's <laughs> way, too. And that actually helped me out. And I, I'm stubborn and hard-headed from the standpoint of, Brian, when I truly believe something, it's going to be extremely difficult to tell me otherwise. It's going to be extremely difficult to get me off course and to have me think in another way when I know that this way works. So for me, staying humble and staying hungry was a lifestyle. It was a lifestyle. It's like I ate, drank, sleep, breathe that told that total mentality. And 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 I wasn't concerned about, about the crowd. When I went out and played, I would hear guys say, Man, it's loud in here. I didn't hear a thing. 
I did hear something, but I was so locked in on what I had yeah. to do. It was almost as if I didn't hear a thing. It was almost the cameras wasn't even a distraction. You know, um, the other team wasn't distraction. The antics wasn't distraction. It's just like my focal point was so laser sharp. And 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 by me having that that mentality that I had, um, it, it worked for me. And and we all have different things that work for us. You know, that mentality may not have worked for some guys, but for me it did. And and it went a long way. And as my mama said, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And so yeah. it, when it was working, it worked and I stuck with it. Nice. That's that's awesome. So did did you have like uh there there's probably been so many memories and behind every memory there's all that preparation focus behind that um but do you have any kind of favorite memories coming out of uh mississippi state oh uh, yeah my my last year which was a great great year you know um, when i coming in as a freshman you know we had a pretty good squad um the year before i got it got um came to mississippi state um had a really good coach in jackie sure he was already established um, had some really good old linemen, really good running backs, tight ends, defensive linemen, the whole nine. We, we, was, we were stacked pretty good. Um, but we came in with high expectations, believing that we could, you know, have a good year my freshman year. And I don't know if we won maybe three games, maybe, maybe three games. Um, the next year, you know, we may have won maybe five or six games. Then my junior year, uh, we had a chance to actually play in a bowl game but our rival, Ole Miss, came to our home turf and kicked us out of the playoffs. Oof. Well, not playoffs, but kicked, kicked us yeah. out of both attention. And to even add salt to the wound, because they beat us, they ended up playing in a bowl. And, oh, my goodness, that was tough to stomach for an entire year. And then my senior year came rolling around. Senior year came rolling around, and, man, we were kicking butt left and right. Ended up playing in the SEC championship against T. Martin and the Tennessee Volunteers. They go on to beat us and also go on to be um, world national champions um, that particular year. But we went on and played in a nice bowl game also, the Cotton Bowl against Ricky Williams and the Longhorns. And those were pretty much the highlights of my career as far as the way we ended it. From the way I started to, yeah. to the way that we ended it, somewhat on the top. I went out of Mississippi State and left there really, really satisfied with, with the way that, that I played, but really satisfied with how the program had risen from the depths all the way to where we were at. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that is cool seeing that transition. And just uh, that probably gave you a nice step just in terms of showing you how, like what you can do to help build a team. Because like that, that wasn't just you that was getting there, but you, your atmosphere and, and mentoring other players around you and, and you learn from other players, I'm sure kind of made that. Do you, do you see that in, in business kind of having that approach with who you're dealing with in your relationships kind of affecting um, how you do as a brand, but also with the kind of the good of other kind of partnerships and collaborations that you have? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. When, when we first started our business almost 10 years ago, uh, one of the first thing that we were advised to do, is is to collaborate with other brands to do some cross marketing um to build great relationships um it's not not necessarily what you know a lot of times it's who you know and if you build the right relationships to where people will trust you um and to where people would know that you do things out of integrity people know that you have their best interests in mind that in turn can go a long long way um I've told my son, um, growing up, I, I demand my son to, when he addresses a man or a woman, to address him by saying, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. And he always said, Dad, why do I have to say that's so old time? And I said, son, listen, when you show people the proper respect, you just never know how far it's going to go. When yeah. people know that you're cordial, they know that you're respectful, they know that you're sincere, that can take you a long way. You just never know who you may need in life, son. And so always make sure that you show people the proper respect, especially those who are older than you. And so I said the same thing. I'm in business. It's important to be very respectful. Uh, at one point, I was a new kid on the block, but the new kid on the block didn't know everything. And so I humbly asked people for that advice. 
And a lot of people were amazed that an NFL athlete would come and ask for advice or an NFL athlete would come and seek counsel. Uh, but for me, it was about me, again, staying humble. Staying yeah. humble, but being hungry enough to seek as much information as I could to be a sponge, if you will, and to learn as much as I could. And in turn, I wasn't just trying to learn all that information just for myself, Brian. I want to recycle it to the next generation of business men and women. And I want to help those who were starting up. So some of the pitfalls that I had, um, some of the fin- extra finances that I spent that I didn't necessarily have to, I wanted to make sure that they, I could nav- help them navigate through those pitfalls so that they in turn didn't have to make those same mistakes. You know, for, for me, it's, it's, it's very disappointing to see somebody sitting on top of tons and tons of golden nuggets of wisdom and then won't share it. Absolutely. You know, I think that the good Lord has put us here to share things, to help each other out. And, and through these relationships that I've built, I'm able to do that for the next generation. And it makes me feel good. Nice. Well, I, I would love to get, get into that uh, just because it, it's, it's been really cool seeing you all grow since I heard about you. I think it's probably 2000, maybe even 2015 that you all did a craft hot sauce profile. Um, and then it, it's been cool seeing you all grow since then. But I'm curious about like wh- when you started, like where did the idea come from? I know cooking's uh, always been a big part of who you are, but did the idea come after you retired from the NFL? And, and I'm curious, like what were your first initial thoughts about how do you start this? Wow. You know, Brian, man, f- food wasn't even on my radar as far as like a business. It really wasn't. Uh, I, I've, I've, enjoyed football so much going back again like you had asked me when I was 10 years old and so I I've always enjoyed sports and especially football football is something that I've dreamed about always doing and to be honest with you never wanted to stop being affiliated with football to some degree Mm -hmm. especially in the NFL so basically what I did was I think it was around I played 13 years probably around my 10th or 11th year in the NFL I started to inquire about post NFL um, I started to inquire to Coach Marvin Lewis, who was my head coach with the Cincinnati Bengals at that time, and my position coach, Jonathan Hayes. And I started to ask them, ask them, like, what would it take for me to further my career, you know, in the NFL after I'm done playing? But I told them I didn't want to be a coach. <laughs> mm, okay. <laughs> because the hours were just so yeah. extreme. And you know, I, I I had some, you know, my, my kids were young and, and I, I wanted to be the type of dad that could spend a lot of time with my kids to teach them things, um, to help them with their homework, to go on little vacations with them. And I know being a coach, what most people don't understand, the coaching life is a grind. I've seen coaches wake up and have to be in, in the office at six or six in the morning and don't leave to two or three that night. Wow. Or the next morning. As a matter of fact, my position coach, Jonathan Hayes, had a sleeping bag in his office. Some nights wow. he didn't even go home. He just slept for it. He said it was much easier to just sleep for three or four hours than to leave, go home for 30 minutes, then try to get to sleep, then wake. He said, just easy just to sleep in your office. And I said, man, do I really want to put myself through that? Yeah. And I have these young kids, and I said, well, no, I don't. So. I talked to him about seeing if there would be an opportunity to work in the front office. And so they were going to help me, help, help me navigate that so that that could be a possibility. But lo and behold, my path went in a totally different direction. How did it go, Brian, you asked? Well, I'm glad that you did ask again. <laughs> well, quite simply this. Uh, I used to throw free football camps when I was a player as well. Um, I love staying active in the community, especially in regards to kids. So I used to throw free football camps in my hometown. I rewarded the kids to exemplify great academic excellence. Game free football camps, free NFL gear. I flew down with my teammates to surprise the kids as well, and they enjoyed it. And 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 my teammates enjoyed it. But afterwards, and for that matter, after any events in Mississippi, you're gonna have some good food. So. <laughs> so my family and my wife's family cooked for all the volunteers, and I remember. One night, one of my one of my teammates' wife called my wife and said, and my wife's name is Sheila, and my teammate's wife said, Sheila, you guys really need to do something uh, with your family recipes. And I, I was, you know, 
it wasn't it kind of took me by surprise because I, I you know football is my thing right yeah yeah I stumbled really was at a loss for words um and but she was very very adamant about it and very, and and very persistent about it I said no you guys really need to do something with these family recipes and so um Sheila and I said well let's give it a try I mean might as well and so we gathered our family secrets uh, we found some really good manufacturers and the rest is history. And that's how to be. So was, was this while you were still playing or was this right? Was still, okay. This was, yeah. This was while I was still an active player. Wow. So I think that was probably around my ninth to 10th year when my teammates wife gave us that tidbit of information, but my teammates had always, they've always talked about how good my family recipes were. I mean, I remember when I was with the Falcons, my teammates used to want my 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 parents to bring food from Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> well, was there any any player that had? And it was not me. It was supposed to be for them. <laughs> <laughs> what was there any particular pl- player that you remember having the biggest appetite? Oh, oh man, Corey Mays, uh, Keenan Fornan was he's a good friend of mine. He could throw down pretty good. Brian Simmons, I mean those guys. Who else came now? Um, I said Bob Christian, my chaplain Ken Moyer. I mean, we had a blast. I mean, we we definitely enjoyed it, and we gave them, you know, we gave them the whole Mississippi tradition. You know, we took them out to bowling. You know, they were around my family. They ate good, and those guys enjoyed that Southern hospitality. And yeah, pretty much every football player got a big appetite, even the smallest. <laughs> <laughs> so having having a great story and having a, an amazing product is really important, but it's. Yeah it's a small piece of the whole pie of what it takes to have a, a great business. What were some of those first steps that you thought about or, or took action and, and maybe some lessons or, or things that you might've done over? Uh, it, I mean, if you were going to kind of go through that, having learned some of the experiences that you went through. One of the things that I would have done a little bit differently and and is I spent a little bit too much money starting off on, on marketing. Um, and I was a little bit, well, let me, let me re- rephrase that. Um, I was a little bit too generic in my approach towards marketing. Um, I didn't target the correct demographics yeah. and, and didn't really quite understand it. Um, you know, for me, you know, being a football player, I feel like everybody likes football. So therefore everybody's going to watch football. Well, in the food industry, you got a certain demographic of people that like certain things. Yep. Certain things they like salsa. Some like salsa. Some don't like salsa. Some like fruit flavored salsa. Some do not like that type of thing. And so I didn't do enough research to really, really uh, find out at first to find out what demographic of people really like a honey apple salsa, which was one of our products. And there was a certain demographic of people that really could care less about it. But there was a certain demographic of people, especially women from ages 25 to 50 years old, who's going to do most of the shopping anyway. They like that type of a product, especially a product um, that's filled with all kind of nutrition as well. Shucks, they eat that up. But see, I didn't know that at the time. So I was spending money on all kinds of radio ads and things of that nature that was not targeting the right people. And so um, it, it was it was a lesson that I learned, but I always like to say this, Brian, either I win or either I learn. Yeah. So in a particular situation, I didn't lose. I just learned from it. And again, I chalked it up to education and I taught somebody else and other people the same thing so that they don't have to fall for those pitfalls. But um, to, to kind of uh, recircle and, and come back to the initial question that you had, you know, I had a teammate um, by the name of Terrence Mathis, um, all pro receiver. This guy was amazing. I mean, he was a heck of a receiver for the Atlanta Falcons. T. Mathis was a well-established veteran when I came in as a snotty-nosed rookie. <laughs> yeah. And he took me under his wings. He said, big guy, come here, big guy. And he looked up at me, and I looked down at him, and he said, listen, big guy, you know, um, this is the NFL. And if you do the little things right, then the big things will fall. Huh. Interesting. It went in one year after the next, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> and he knew it. 
the funny thing about it, he knew it. And he said, listen to me now, big guy. Anytime somebody says something to you repeated like that, you know that they know what you're thinking. Yeah. He said, listen to me now, big guy. If you do the little things right, then the big things will follow. You see, he 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 watched me and he observed my first year, my first well, the first couple of months of me being an NFL player. And he saw how I was just an out of control, chaotic figure with a number 89 on my back on the football field, Brian. I had no technique. I had no discipline. I felt like I could just go out there and step out on the field and just dominate, right? That's not the case in the NFL. In the NFL, everything is about strategy. Everything is about technique. Everything is about doing the little things right. And again, my mentality changed from high school and I had a different mentality in college. Mm-hmm. And the pros, my mentality had to change. And when Terrence taught me, if you do the little things right, the big things will follow, that changed my game. I started looking at the little things that I was doing wrong, Brian. And once I corrected that by having great footwork, great leverage, great hands, great eyes, hand-eye coordination, reading coverages on the run, looking at a defender's stance to see if he's going to slant in or slant out, looking at a linebacker's eyes to see if he's going to blitz or drop back into coverage. Once I really started looking at the little details, my game soared. It took me a lot of bumps and bruises, but that was the reason why Terrence came to me anyway. And and because he knew that if I kept going on the path that I was going on, may not have had a long NFL career. Well, I've taken that same philosophy in the food industry, Brian. Simple. If you do the little things right, the big things will follow. The big things are sales. You want customers to enjoy your brand. Mm-hmm. Uh, get more distribution. But what is it going to take? What is it going to take for you to do that? Well, for me being in the food industry, it's going to take consistency. It's going to take great customer service. It's going to take integrity. It's going to take a great marketing pitch where you're really branding yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you do those those little things like that, along with some other things, then big things will automatically come your way. Yeah. And and that's what I'm going through right now with my, my own hot sauce brand is the, my focus on the customer segment. Mm-hmm. I am barely profitable. So if I'm spending a hundred dollars on advertising where it, I know eventually it could, it could be on a lot of different restaurant tables and in store shelves, but who is going to be jumping up and down saying, I want that when I describe in very specific detail what our brand is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, well, and I know y- you got into some big markets, uh, supermarkets and retailers like Walmart. And I'm curious about kind of the story behind that pitch when you went into to Walmart, like all, all the little things that went behind that. And I'm sure it wasn't perfect, but can you, can you maybe share a few lessons from, from that yeah. experience and kind of talk through what that was like? Oh yeah, man. I, I remember, I remember as if it was yesterday. <laughs> uh, I had a guy who used to work for um, the department of agriculture in, in Kentucky when I was Cincinnati Bengals. And this guy, his name is Roger Snell. Now, he's a good guy. Uh, he's an author now. And he took me under his wings and, and really wanted to help me out. He wanted to help me to be an entrepreneur. And, and again, he could tell I didn't just want to put my slap my name on, uh, on, on, on some salsa and then just be a behind-the-scenes guy. And, and no, he knew I actually wanted to be out in front. He knew I wanted to learn the business. And, and because I had that type of motivation, he knew it. And, and people can tell when you're sincere or not, Brian. Definitely. Yep. So, so he wanted to help me out. And he gave me a shot to go and, and, and present my products to a regional merchandiser in Kentucky um, at, at Walmart. And so obviously that, was, that would have been my first big pitch. I had only been in the business for three months. I think we had at that time, we had maybe three to four customers and they were small mom and pop locations in Mississippi. So they were one stop locations. So it was small scale. 
Yep. It was nothing like like large scale, like like the Walmart um, stores, like Walmart stores. And so, you know, it was a little bit intimidating. Um, but again, I knew if I properly prepared myself the best that I could, you know, um, I thought, well, at, at, at the least, at the least they could just tell me, hey, well, you need to do this, you need to do that. Then you can come back and we'll give you a shot. Well, only been in business for three months. You know, I went into that thing, gave a, gave a pitch, blase, 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 blase. Next thing you know, at the end of the pitch, the merchandiser said, you know what? I don't know. There's something about you. I'm going to give you a shot. Wow. And he ended up giving me a, a shot. And we ended up starting in three states, which was much bigger than what I imagined. And, and I tell you, there's, there's one great lesson. Now, the reason I didn't tell you everything that I said, I said, blase, blase, blase. I'm going to try to get back to get back to, to the reason why I said that. Um, this merchandiser, he gave me a shot. And, and the first thing I learned from that whole experience, Brian, is that you don't get a second chance to make a first impression. You don't get a second chance to make a first impression. So when you have an opportunity to make an impression on somebody, you, you need to turn it loose. No reservations. Turn it off. Let it all hang loose. Let it all hang out there and be open and be willing to just be honest with them. reason I said that was because when I, when, when I was talking to the merchandiser, I didn't know everything. Um, but what I did do, I made sure that I went out, I researched other brands that were on the Walmart shelf that I would be competing against. I told him everything as far as the bottle sizes of those brands, to the prices of those brands, um, to how my brand could fit in to our price points. I told him every little single detail of a three month uh, uh, startup company could tell him. Yeah. And I think that that really impressed him because I not only just, I didn't just come into a, 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 a meeting, you know, just wanting to get an account based on Reggie Kelly, the athlete, which that played a part in as well. And I used that, that piece of the puzzle also. But again, he saw that I actually got out. I went to the stores. I researched the product that I would be competing against. I would ask even the actual workers things about Walmart stores. What does EDLP stand for? Oh, that means everyday low pricing. Okay. That means Walmart is going to give the customers the lowest possible price. Let me put that down on my notes. Why are these products here on the end cap of the shelf? That's for special promotion. Some people have to pay for those. Some people this and that. So, okay, that's what that means. And I don't know if they I don't know if they thought I was an undercover agent from corporate. <laughs> <laughs> But I would go in daily, just seeking, educating myself, getting more knowledge so that when I did have this meeting, I could be properly prepared as only I could be being in business for about three months. And he could sense that. He could sense that I really, really was trying. And the stuff that I didn't know, I just simply told him I didn't know it. But the last thing I told him is, I don't know enough, but I get it for you. And he believed it. And because of the way I was transparent, because of the way I researched, um, because of the way I dug and, and made sure that I was properly prepared, um, he gave me an opportunity to be a Walmart supplier. And I would tell anybody, anytime you have an opportunity, opportunities don't come around every day. You don't get a second chance to make a first impression. When you go and you kick the door down and, 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 and don't worry about making mistakes, because I made plenty of mistakes. But when you're open and honest, people will overlook those mistakes and still give you a shot because the American dream, people want to see people succeed. They do. Yeah. I want to see people succeed. And so we all want to see people do really well, whether if you're the underdog or not, uh, whether if you understand the business or not, whether if you have a grasp on it or not, you can always learn the business. I love watching Shark Tank, Brian. I'm not sure if you're a big yeah, fan. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I got in, I got hooked to entrepreneurship uh, in my, junior year college entrepreneurship class. It's a pretty mm -hmm. nice class that we got to watch Shark Tank, but we were like paused and we're like, okay, they're talking about the equity structure. And like, mm -hmm. this is what they have. This is what the sharks are saying that they have gaps in this, where they make assumptions. Like, why do you think you're going to make $400,000 yep. in sales your first year? Um, 
and so I, I'm seeing some some focus with you going the extra mile to have the additional context about who you're speaking to, who you're pitching to, um, and research. Like that, that's kind of what I'm picking up from your your strengths and focuses that helps you kind of get off to a, a quick start. Absolutely. Even from the standpoint of the merchandiser, I I researched him before I even met him. Mm-hmm. I was telling him stuff about himself. Well, how's your family doing? How's this? And 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 of course I didn't I wasn't callous when I said I made sure that I said in such a way where it was receptive. Yeah. Well, I, well, I went to this school, you know, we may play you guys this year. Y'all gonna have a good football team to break the ice. And when you do your research and when they say, huh, this guy's actually researching me too. He's he's on it. And it means a lot. Before Shark Tank even started, Shark Tank has been going on for, for centuries, especially when suppliers like myself go and present or pitch. Yeah. Or to merchandisers and, and and you gotta pitch them to the point where they feel like, hey, this guy's can be an, can be an asset to my to our company. And so from that point on, you know, um, we've been doing business with Walmart to some capacity since then. And I want to continue that that great relationship uh, with them. But I would tell you, man, you always be prepared. Um, one of the reasons I brought up Shark Tank, it's amazing that some of those products that the sharks turn down are really good products. Yeah. They are really innovative ideas. But if you come on a show like that, you got to be prepared. You got to be prepared with the numbers. You got to be prepared and flexible enough to even counter and to understand what that kind of looks like. Um, and then you got to have a good presentation to where it, it draws them in. And some of the presentations are pretty corny, but yet they still <laughs> and, and they end up getting some big deals. And, and, and when you do, when you seize the moment, and and it, it'll work out work out really really well for you. So I'm a big fan of Shark Tanks, and I'm a big fan of of making sure you seize the moment. Absolutely, yeah. And I was uh, learning about this company that uh, they, they wanted to open up a, a restaurant in the Boston area, and they had supposedly a 60 page business proposal that had uh, the the research uh, of all their margins, their menus, uh, talking about the the chef both combined had 40 years of culinary experience um they had all their uh their margins listed out and their their one big assumption though was that they were going to serve 100 meals a day mm-hmm. and that was something that everything else was crystal clear well thought out really smart and uh driven people but the you got to test those assumptions and, yeah. and, and, and that can, can really come back to bite you. But I'm curious if there's any, like, I know in retail, there's a lot of kind of magic numbers about margins, uh, cost structure. I, I don't know if there's kind of, uh, we, I'm sure we could talk about this for a long time, but we don't have you for, for hours. So, uh, what, what are some kind of big, uh, important numbers or realizations that, um, you think, like hot sauce companies, condiment companies should be aware of kind of going into the, the retail space? Well, I, th- I think that you, and and if, if I'm not answering this correctly, you could ask, you know, you can continue to dig a little deep, Brian, so I can answer your question. But in regards to, to margins, you have to make sure that your margins are set, number one, so that you can make money. Any any great merchandiser that I've talked to, they always tell me that when you go in, it, a lot of times you may even want to go in with a, a little bit higher margin because sometimes merchandisers are going to come to you and say well you know we we can't accept this price can you tweak that number and come down a little bit lower so it's best to start higher than starting lower because if you start lower then you can't you definitely can't go higher yeah and i've heard that on a number of occasions and i think the best thing to do you have to always incur incur you know the packaging costs the raw materials the labor then you got to take in the actual freight. Uh, for some companies that have brokers, brokers normally cost about a five, take a five percent commission, you know, on top of their sales. All right. The next thing that I like to focus on also is can I keep the product price on the shelf competitive with my other competitors? Mm. Are my price going to be so high that it actually scares away consumers? You can have a great taste in product, but if the price is too high, well. Well, I mean, I can get this. I can get two of these for the price of one of his. And so when you add all that that stuff in there, it, it can become a little bit um, crazy. It can have you scratching your head and can make for long nights. 
but if you factor in, you know, um, shucks, the raw materials, the packaging, the label, the lab labor, the freights, um, sales, and then you got to have your your you know margin where you got to make as well, and then pay workers also. Um, and and that means when you source an ingredients, you have to source ingredients from from. I like to source ingredients from suppliers that have a large customer base. And the reason why is because they buy a lot of their raw, raw materials in bulk, which means they get them a lot less expensive, which makes, it works for me. And even when they, sometimes they, a lot of times they buy them from farmers, local farmers, but they buy them in bulk. That means their costs are a little bit lower. That means their cost to me is going to be a little bit lower, yeah. which means to the actual merchandise or to the retail is going to be lower. And that works as well. So, uh, that entails, you know, that takes a lot of research as well and takes relationships. But normally co-packers can have that information for you anyway. It can make things a little bit lighter on you. Now, yeah. I'm not sure if the question that, correct. That, that was exactly what I'm looking for. Yeah, that, that, that's perfect. And um, I think it's important to keep track of that because that's something that evolves, like as you go through different stages and, and different, yeah. like it, 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 selling to uh, a local butcher shop is going to be different than selling to Walmart with different margins. It's kind Absolutely. of, you, you got to tailor it to different phases that you're in and, and who you're selling to. Yeah. And, 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 and here's the next thing, you know, and, and I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to say too much because if I say too much, I don't want to lose anybody as well. But, but when you are a company and you're trying to get in like the big, big box retails, like a Walmart, you know, or Kroger or Publix, they have really tough stipulations. Um, you got to have your barcoding. Um, you got to have a certain amount of insurance in case something does happen when consumers try your product. If something happens, you're going to have to cover that, um, not necessarily Walmart or Kroger. So you got to have the proper in insurance as well. Um, a lot of them like for, would like for you to have distributors because they don't want to warehouse your particular, they may not want to warehouse your product in their DCs, their distribution centers. They would much rather a distributor just directly um, ship the product or directly directly distribute the product to their particular shelves. And so that plays a part too because distributors are a third wheel, I guess you can say. Well, not necessarily a third wheel, but a middleman. Mm -hmm. And they're going to want to add margins on top of your margin. Then the retailer, yeah. and of course, the price can just skyrocket even more. But I kind of want to simplify things. I don't want to overly complicate it. But the, like you just said, which is a very important point, depending on the retailer, um, depending on the actual chain, if it's a mom and pop compared to a chain like Walmart, then the ante is up a little bit more and you probably got to pay out a little bit more money. But again, you don't have to make the mistakes that I made in spending a lot of money on marketing um, to the wrong demographics. You can actually use some free marketing money. Uh, well, not free marketing money, but use some free marketing in the form of social media. Uh, everybody's on social media now. You post stuff, you can easily get your friends and family members to reshare it as well. Mm -hmm. and that's pretty. That's a pretty simple way. You can um, do e-blast where you can get an email list and just send e-blast um, to your particular family and friends. Then you can do co-marketing like we have done. Uh, I'm a salsa company, so we like to, to partner up with potato chip companies or tortilla chip companies and they put our products on their page we put their products on, on our page and that works for a beautiful partnership as well and it's free it's free yeah yeah no and i, I think it, it's a fun way to uh collaborate build those relationships and uh, i feel like every single time i've done some co-marketing or uh me interviewing folks like you on the podcast i, I learn a lot um and, and it's cool to kind of share it out with other folks well, I know we, we don't have too much more time uh, here today, but um, curious, uh, kind of as the as you look towards the the future, if if there's kind of any kind of particular goals or aspirations that that you have. Well, you know, when when we first started the business, uh, we were pretty methodical about it, and we we tried to make sure that we were very detailed in our our goals. Uh, we wanted to start out out locally, which we did. Uh, but within three months, you know, that kind of took a back seat and we ended up going regionally based on the Walmart um, deal that we got. And so that distribution expanded far quickly than we realized it would. Uh, but our goal was to start locally um, from a retail perspective, then regionally, 
um, and then go nationally. And our final goal, which we haven't reached that, is we want to go globally. Um, that's very important to us um, in retail, but we also want to do that through e-commerce and also food service. Uh, we tapped into all three of those particular um, segments, retail, food service, and e-commerce. Um, and if we can continue to expand those three platforms and, and make ourselves a global brand, uh, that would be the end all. And that, that entails a lot of work, Brian, a lot of effort, a lot of details, a lot of re-strategizing re and pivoting back and forth, especially with the coronavirus. Yeah. Uh, a lot of have had to pivot. Uh, we're getting tremendous amount of sales now through e-commerce. So we pretty much beefed up our e-commerce platforms, you know, given done so many different ads through social media as well to kind of beef that up to continue to encourage consumers to purchase our product via, you know, those online platforms. And so depending on what the situation may call for, you just got to re-strategize, refocus, sometimes rebrand in order to do what you want to do, which in, in the end is win. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, it, it's been cool seeing how uh, all different types of companies have kind of pivoted so quickly and, and re-changed because it, 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 it's not over. <laughs> it's certainly not over and, and it's a lot that's going to change forever. So thinking about um, how to, how to re, repoint uh, and, and move forward is it, super important. Absolutely. Now, if only I could get some Lysol spray, I'd be good, man, but it's hard. It's, it's hard. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, Reggie, uh, before you go, uh, where can people find you and, and, uh, any kind of last, uh, last insights requests or, or, uh, things to add to the, to the listeners? Well, I just appreciate, you know, um, you guys listening is always fun, Brian, to be on. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, I, anytime I could come on and, and entertain and hopefully educate, I'm all for it. Um, and I appreciate it. You know, you guys, just checking out what we have, um, Kyvin Foods. Our website is kyvin82.com. You can also find us on Amazon and walmart.com as well. Uh, we just enjoy making people happy. Uh, we enjoy being a part of traditions. Uh, and we enjoy being a part of your homes. So if you guys would love to try a Kyvin brand, as our motto says, one taste, you will appreciate the goodness. Thank you, guys, and I appreciate you, and God bless. I love that. Yeah. Thank you, Reggie. And, and uh, we'll have you on the, the craft hot sauce subscription box for uh, the month of July. So it's a, it's a good opportunity to uh, sit down, listen to the podcast, try some food with uh, some home cooking. Uh, do you, you got a, a favorite meal that you, you make yourself or, uh, or any of your other family members that when, when they make it, you're uh, getting an extra portion or two. <laughs> Well, you know, my, I actually stole my wife's uh, spaghetti recipe. It's really, it's a barbecue salsa spaghetti. Wow. It's absolute. I know the name sounds weird, but it is absolutely I can true. see that, yeah. And she's going to actually make that for me for Father's Day. So I've already put my request in. There you so go. Get that particular meal for Father's Day. And then I, that's one of my favorites. I make a really good shrimp and grits as well. That's one of my faves, all-time faves also. And that's something that I'm good at doing. The funny thing is my kids don't like it. So really? like all of these gooey, gooey, cheesy, creamy grits, and then a nice succulent shrimp. And then nobody's going to eat except me. I mean, I, I'm okay with that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I would like my kids to enjoy it as well. But I can really make some good shrimp and grits, man. I actually enjoy that. Yeah, I, I, I uh had that when I was actually down in Mississippi, uh, visiting Jackson state university and had it with hot sauce, of course. So yeah, all, all the folks at Jackson state were, were making fun of my hot sauce think, saying that I was saying that was hot, but to them that was, well, it was nothing. So. <laughs> well, well, I know you're asking all the questions, but what is your favorite meal that you like to cook or what is your favorite dish? Who, I mean, I, it, it depends on the mood, but I love, um, making stir fries, uh, and okay. just like, just seeing what's in the kitchen. Uh, I love making all different types of like making a marinade maybe with like three different types of hot sauces some teriyaki, some sesame oil, and then get some, some vegetables. Like I, I like just to throw a lot together, see what sticks and, and uh, explore spices. I, I've been, 
um, trying all different types of spices to, to see what I like. So um, what, what's usually ever in the pantry in the fridge, I usually just throw it in and like to make something I've never made before. So, yeah. It works. Sounds adventurous, man. That works for you. Hope you enjoyed that episode of the Craft Hot Sauce podcast. Stay tuned for our next episode that will be dropping in a couple of weeks with a guest from Down Under talking all about the magic of fermentation. Uh, again, we would love it if you participate in our giveaway of the Craft Hot Sauce box with Kai Van Foods. The two ways to enter, which you can do both to increase your chances, uh, is one, to leave us a review and send us a screenshot that you can share to us on social media or by emailing brian at crafthotsauce.com. Uh, and the second way to enter is to share this link uh, to the podcast on your social media and tag Craft Hot Sauce and Kai Van Foods. So thanks again for listening. Uh, be kind out there. Enjoy your hot sauce. And till next time.